1: 365 days of the year. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. And now for something completely different watch us on youtube listen on your favorite
2: podcast platform or ask your smart speaker to play the podcast lester till i die subscribe
0: like follow and join in now strap yourself in because we're set up switched on and ready to go
1: On Facebook, Twitter and Instagram.
0: This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport.
1: Powered by fans.
2: Right, Chris. All right. Good evening, good afternoon, good morning, good day. Depending where you are. And if you're on nights, good night as well. How are you all? Um, got over it yet? <laughs> you know what I mean? Have we got over this yet? Oh, I've never known anything. It, it's almost like you've got you've got 19 teams that are siding on one side and Man United on the other. And I, and I said this the other day when we did the post-match, when we did the debate show last night. I am not having a go at all in any way at Manchester United uh it, it's just about the decisions that are being made um we i, well, I was one of those that when they were talking about var I said yep yeah, it's a great idea let's you know let's get it in um but i was also one of those that used to look back at hawkeye at wimbledon i think that john mackinlow what an idiot he is Maybe he's got a point, you know, because it's taken tennis a few years to do. Cricket seem to have got it right. Rugby. What is it about football? Well, I'll tell you what, we've got the gentleman in tonight that can answer those questions. Keith Hackett. Um, for those of you that are too young to know, uh, unfortunately, I'm not one of those. Uh, he is one of our more famous referees. To be honest with you, you know, he's uh, he he was a referee for the first few seasons of the Premier League. Um, he did the 1981 82 FA Cup final between Manchester City and Spurs and the replay as well. And if you ever don't know which final that is, we'll just say Ricardo, is it Ricardo Velia? What a goal, what a goal uh, He, When he retired, he became a referee's assessor And then he went on to become the general manager of the PGMOL Which is obviously the referee's governing body So, uh, to be honest with you, there is nobody better to be a punchback I mean, to, to, to take our questions tonight <laughs> He will give honest answers He's written books on refereeing Just go and check his out on Wikipedia You can find all the information you know what I feel about it. Obviously, and I should say, so I do get your questions in the chat as well. And as we go through, we'll try and put as many of those to Keith as we can. Um, this was what I said earlier. Uh, I write, as you know, for the BBC uh, on Tuesday, uh, Tuesday Talking Point. That's why it comes out on a Tuesday. They're not stupid, the BBC. And my piece this week was clubs deserve to be officiated by people who know what they are doing. Now, yeah, I might be being unfair here because let's be honest with you, it's not the easiest job in the world. Um, I actually did the FA uh, coaching badge. I got up to grade one, which is a it's enthusiastic fathers. Let me put it that way. And I, the abuse I got off, parents of the fans of my my son's friends that were now all in the same team. It is the worst job in the world, but surely surely with var it should be getting right what is going wrong do we need to change the rules do we need ex players looking at running var why have we got so many people doing var there's so many questions let's hope we can get so many answers i'm going to ask him in and as i said i'm really really grateful for him to come in uh, at such short notice and obviously with it being uh, as as well relevant as it is now with what happened keith Thank you so much for uh, taking the time to come on.
0: Uh, good evening, Chris. Delighted to be on your show.
2: Okay. Like we said before, we had a little chat before before we came live, and um, you don't hold back; you say it as it is. Um, yeah. You've got uh, you've had some books out since you've retired, haven't you?
0: Yes, and uh, I, I write I, for the Daily Telegraph uh, cool. on occasions, and uh, believe it or not, for a Chinese magazine when. Uh, <laughs> before COVID, uh, since yeah. then, they've not up and running. But, yeah, uh, and obviously on social media, I usually comment as, it, mm. as I see it. Um, yes. I mean, really, let's get to the meat of the thing. Uh, yeah. I'm as flabbergasted as most people in football as to why, when you see a challenge that Subitz, that Manchester United did at the weekend, why, first of all, I can understand why the referee missed it, because it was very quick, and the process of a referee is to see, recognise, think, and act. So one can only assume he's not seen it in the way that television has shown it. But VAR, and a very experienced referee, Paul Tierney, is in the VAR room. He's got screens in front of it and I, and it, look, let's not hide, that was a clear and obvious error, mm-hmm. that was a red card and I'm scratching my head like most fans, no matter what persuasion they are, whichever team they operate, mm-hmm. you have to say that could happen to us as, a, as someone in another team, a fan, mm-hmm. why is it continuing to be a
2: nightmare? VAR. I mean, the question I just want to ask if I can do there, and I, I, you know, obviously you know the rules better than I do, but, you know, um, Brendan Rodgers came out and said afterwards, the referee had blown his whistle, I believe, for uh, a foul just before that. Uh, But does that not, does that mean that he can't then react to anything that happens after his whistle? Well,
0: uh, let's take a situation then, Chris. So I'd blown for a free kick and a player then thumps someone else off the ball. Yeah. Do I ignore it? Answer no. That player gets a red card. So let, let let's not fudge it. Mm. This was a, a red card offense. The, the player set himself. One can question whether there was any force in it. It doesn't matter. He's endangered yeah. the safety of an opponent. And just like that one that didn't get a red card. We had the other one of, in another game of an overhead red uh, kick, if you like, and don't ask me to uh, uh, sort of say his name as a poculto or whatever, Yeah, was sent off to the hospital. This was an overhead kick, hit the head of the, of the player, yeah. put him in hospital. That's a red card offence. He's endangered the safety of an opponent. So the previous week we had the nonsense of Lee Mason Mm -hmm. not drawing the lines and Arsenal having a good goal, uh, sorry, uh, Arsenal having a goal scored against them which should have been disallowed for offside. As a consequence, Lee Mason uh, mutually leaves the post. I have to tell you, if anybody read my article in the Telegraph, I just said simply he needed to be fired because it was that bad. Yeah.
2: It's it, well, it, it's the, the the basics of the job, isn't it? You know, yes. I mean, we've also gone over a lot of these things on my channel since since the match. We did the post match where the debate yeah. show Monday night. Um, is is VAR? I would say fit for purpose that that's maybe been a bit fair but you've got VAR and you've got the rules of football are the rules of football just too complicated for VAR we don't know what's onside what's offside I oh. joked and and I was a little bit rude but you know I said if a player's running towards the goal as a defender and he's a little bit excited in the nether regions does that yeah. count as offside mm-hmm. you know at what point and you know where does it hit the arm? It's a simple. I think was it was it Brian Clough the one said it's a simple game that, that's, that's spoiled by, by rules. Um, I, why can't they just simplify it and, and change the rules? Which I think they have to to accommodate VAR. Well, let, let's
0: let's look at that. Break that down a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if we look at the offside law. Um, I I can tell you that when I started refereeing in the 60s, if a player was stood in an offside position, that was an offence. Then the law evolves and they actually say he can stand in an offside position and at that point he's not committed an offence. But if he uh, gains an advantage only when the ball hits the crossbar and, or comes off the goalkeeper or a defender to him, then in that situation, he's still offside because he was offside when there was a shot on goal. So, so you've got that complication. You've yeah. then got the further complication of he can score with his head, he can score with his shoulder, he can score with his knee, and he can score with his feet. And we've seen the abject nonsense, haven't we, of a game that was for people in the local park and at whatever level we operate. Suddenly we've seen the introduction of VAR and the complication of the law. Now, David Ellery, former referee, was charged by the IFAB to make life easier and simpler by looking at every law and then simplifying it. And in fact, in doing that, I think he's overcomplicated it because where I think offside law becomes a nonsense is when we say that, you know, they, they've actually made a play or, you know, there's an action by that, that player from an offside position, a deliberate play. And, and then you get the complication of the Rashford incident where mm-hmm. his yard's offside, uh, he's allowed to, to go on um, and he then leaves the ball and the goalkeeper's fooled and didn't make a save and the goal, the goal is allowed. When we all, as referees, would say that doesn't look right, doesn't smell right, that's offside. And I was pleased that Howard Webb, knew in the post, clarified clearly that that in future would be flagged offside. So, Sorry, let me can't... let me just let me just go on because I, I'm I'm for technology. I'm the guy who stood up. I I went to I was the boss of the PGMOL when I watched Roy Carroll drop the ball over the guy, goal line, a yard inside, and against Spurs, and no goal was given i could see from the director's box at old trafford that was a goal i then went to the, the summer conference of the premier league in leicester or on the outskirts of leicester at a hotel and i stood up and said i want to go line technology i then started working with Orkai and i think after a few days i said to Orkai, i don't want the referee involved and they looked at me as though I'd come off a planet. And I said, what I mean by that is, all I want you to do is say to the referee, go. And I want you to do that electronically. I don't want a conversation. I don't want to, I don't want anything else. Now, if we look at VAR in England in particular, where it's probably working, operating at its worst, we've got to go back in history. So year one, when VAR was introduced to the world, the Premier League said, we're not having it. We then go to year two of VAR, and, and the Premier League say, we're having it. And the consequence of that was that we're then a year behind. Then, Mike Riley says, we're only going to use the monitor sparingly. He used three three games out of 380 the referee went to the monitor. And we all know as fans, when he goes to the monitor, it goes with the decision of the VAR. So for me, there's a lot of work needs to be done. Mm. I'm for an independent panel. I don't think, personally, you can have a referee officiating a game on a Friday night, coming out of the ground, wherever that is, around midnight, Getting in his car or finding his way to Middlesex to Stockley Park for a twelve thirty kickoff, where he's going to be VAR. Mm. I, I, that's not conducive. So I, I think that at the same time, there's got to be a level of accountability. So as you can be a good referee, you can be a poor referee, and the sifting process catches you out in that process. Hopefully. In VAR, in VAR terms, it should be no different. Mm. It's not necessarily a good referee that's going to make a good VAR.
2: No, no. And and I, I, I mean, I said at the start, I mean, obviously, uh, after the weekend, um, and Rich will tell you who was just in there in Man United fan, he, he will tell you how annoyed I was. But, I mean, taking that aside it's not the easiest job in the world and we used to say before VAR well you know it was human error and we kind of understood if you know the odd mistake was made here and there but you know we were sold on this thing with VAR that we wouldn't have this problem and yet we're actually talking we've, we're no longer talking about the refs making mistakes on the pitch well, still happens obviously because they're human, but we're now talking more about VAR and the referees yeah. making these mistakes. Yeah. And yeah. I've got to say, is it and I, I mean I don't I don't think it is actually this, but you've got referees who are basically judging their mates. Yeah. And do they really and, and I think we saw this a little bit in the playoff final last year, but are we seeing a little bit where the VAR referees don't really want to shout it out because they know the guy that's in the middle. Should it be, and this is sort of my idea, you've got a lot of ex-players in the top league, Premier League, top half of the championship, that will go on and have a decent media career in some description. Hmm. You've got a lot of ex-players, and I speak to Julian Watts and Steve Linex ex-Leicester City players who are regular guests on the shows, who would love to do it. Can we not sort of get ex-players not necessarily refereeing, because I think if they'd wanted to, they would have done that by now. But can we not get that, so those players involved in the VAR side?
0: I think, first of all, what we've got to understand is that a lot of the laws of the game are dwelling that area of subjective. Mm-hmm. And so you, you can put 100 referees in a room and you might get 70 against 30 on a particular decision. Yeah. If we take that decision at the weekend it's for me it's a simple call that is fulfills a red card so what you've got to then do is you've got to interrogate howard webb in his roles got to interrogate why was the outcome an incorrect decision so let me tell you what i used to do as boss of the pgml as an insight we used to have um In 10 games, that weekend's program, we used to probably have one major error. That's how, you know, before VAR, that's how we were operating. We had a cadre of world-class referees. You might not like them, but you had a number of them. Halsey, Fattenberg, Webb, Dean, Durkin and, and, and others, and Paul. Now, so as a, as a consequence, what used to happen is I would take the decisions that were iffy, and that might be the big one. We would be in a room. I would show some fairly good clips of good advantages being played, good interaction with players. Uh, and as a consequence of that, then I would show the big one, the heiress. The But what I would do is I'd get the referee up and say, right, talk me through this. How how did you come to this decision? And we would then have a debate and discussion so that every referee was involved in the process so they didn't repeat the problems. And that in itself is important. Now, I had a a television uh, interview with... Uh, that involved Nigel Owens, the Welsh Rugby Union referee, at the time before he'd retired. We were discussing the introduction of VAR. And he said, the risk with VAR, Keith, is that it will promote lazy refereeing, lazy officiating. And he used this analogy, he said, think of the tightrope walker, no safety net underneath, Every step that he makes is going to be very accurate. His concentration is going to be 100% because he knows if he falls off the rope, rope, he's likely to die. Once you put a safety net underneath that tightrope walker, it gets blase. And what happens in refereeing is the chances are you become lazy and stop making decisions. And, And I watch one or two referees closely. I know them. They no longer talk to me, by the way, because I, critic, I, <laughs> I criticise them. But in reality, I'm seeing referees getting to the edge of the penalty area in a reasonably good position and hesitating. The big, What makes a top-quality referee is to be able to get the big decisions right in the game. I'm not going to argue about a throwing, providing it doesn't result in a goal. Yeah, We want to get them right. You know, we hear the stats from Mike Riley last year, 98% accurate. Well, of course they are. Every throwing, every goal kick, every corner kick, most of those are answered by the players fetching the ball. You don't need a referee. So for me, these big decisions become something that is really important. That can can involve red cards where you can actually analyse performance. Now... When I took over the PGN well, it was, we had referee assessors at the ground mm. and they would do that. They would talk the referee through. That they was your job it. at
2: one time, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah.
0: So you would, you would have people like Peter Jones, less the referee, mm. international referee, great experience, going to the dressing room, talking to that referee, not to, to slate him, but actually I have an honest conversation. Mm. Um, Riley changed that system. I decided that I needed not policemen policing policemen, I need other participants. So I set up a panel with the Premier League, ex-players, ex-managers became match delegates. So when we talked about the marking of match officials, we had a group that marked on behalf of the, if you like, the manager of the player group and the referee group. And we could then look at the individual performances of the referee. Was he a good communicator? Was, you know, uh, was he one who perhaps uh, kept his cards in his pocket and managed effectively? If you if you look back at Mark Elzy, people might remember him. Very on the
2: show, yeah. Very very
0: fit referee. Yeah. Communicated well. You might have the other end of the scale, where you might have somebody like Rob Styles or or even Mike Dean in his early days. Mm -hmm. Mike Dean never changed, and that is. I'm going to get an average of four or five yellow cards every game. And so that's why I brought in a sports psychologist to say, can we improve communication? Uh, a, a nutritionist, can we improve fitness? Uh, because of that, seat, the, the nature of being able to see. So I think those are the important aspects. I think from VAR's role, I, I am one that says, Let's give it a try. Let's, let's have some ex players on that panel, train them. But at the moment, I'm telling you, I think some of the referees need training. Oh, because, yeah. you know, first of all, they're relying on a technician providing the film clips. Is that technician providing the replays as quickly as he could? Or should? Is that system foolproof can it be improved so i'll be looking at that you know i mean again one of the things that i introduced technology wise was the communication kits you know because i had when i refereed, i had to pick out a crowd uh, a small piece of cloth that was either a yellow or red in color uh, and that sometimes took some seeing and And I introduced the communication kit. So let me tell you, that wasn't smooth. If you went to uh, Chelsea on the odd occasion, during the course of the match, you'd get, could we have a cab from Kensington? (laughs) To to wherever. Because we we weren't encrypted at that time. So look, technology is there the system that we're operating in terms of broadcast footage, broadcast speeds is not good enough. Therefore, if we're the leading league in the world, which I think we are. Yeah. And and the world cup used semi-automated system and assuming that they were happy with it, that's where we need to go. Now jumping in because you asked me a question, Handball as a law. I mean in my day and I, and look, I finished mid '90s uh, yeah. referee. but w- all we had to do is say, look we 're looking for the movement of a handball to anteball, and we use the word deliberate and I, and I contend that it was far less complicated than it is now, because yes. yeah. you know that player going down at the weekend. Knew what he was doing. Uh, You you had the week before, you had a similar situation. Neither penalties were given when handball and handling offences had taken place. Now, you know, I I listened to a a referee explaining it, and I'm going, just a minute, he knows exactly what he's doing. If he's falling, right, if you're falling to the left, you put your left arm out, and you, you actually naturally... Flatten your hand mm. to hit the ground, to, to, to take the fall. So you look at body mechanics and they're the signals as a referee that give you the clues to making the right call. And, and, and therefore, in that situation, there's a penalty kick that should have been awarded for handball, not given. Now, last week we saw Lee Mason sort of leave um, and about time, about time because remember, he, he messed up at Villa. Yeah, now it's not always easy because you've got to recognize that these guys are employees of the PGMOL and they are, as employees, you have to go through employment law, so you've got to go through the process of the first warning letter. Verbal, written, that sort of scenario. But what you can do is don't give them games for a period and just say, right, okay. And, you know, I mean, as the boss of the PJMOL, I fired a referee um, and I dropped referees. You know, Andy Derso was one that was a, um, a referee that never got over the Roy Keane incident. Mm. and and his confidence, confidence had been shot and I looked at it and thought right I'll, I'll I'll lower his status, take him off being a professional referee, drop him down to the football league level and he became quite a competent referee at that level more comfortable uh, and out of you know, like the heat of the yeah. uh, the Premier League
2: Yes I wanna just if I can take you back to what you were saying about the handball.
1: Because, again,
2: it's one of these where it hits you. Is it the length of your sleeve? And if that's the case, can we not get Adidas to add a couple of inches onto the bottom of the sleeve? Um, But, you see, again, with me, this is where the ex-players would know whether a hand, you know, is in an unnatural position. So when a player jumps and his hand's in a certain position, is it, is that where your hand would be if you're jumping? I've never jumped that high, so I, I wouldn't know. But I could say that that's one of the, the, the reasons I think for for me wanting sort of you know ex players involved. But when I look at the pictures of the VAR, of the room, how many people do we need in there?
0: Right. Well, remember that there could well be two or three games going off at the same time. So what you have got is you've got you've got three people on that game.
2: Right.
0: You've got the VAR, you've got the AVR, and you've got then the mechanic, the guy who's operating the system. the the, AVR, the the assistant VAR is there so that if there is an incident that's been reviewed by the referee as play continues, the AVAR... He's looking at the game so that there's no gap, you know, when when they say the review is over. So that's why you've got to. Now, I've had a suspicion that there's someone else hovering around the place trying to interfere with the, the independent process of the VAR. I think that Howard Webb's kicked that into touch straight away. I think he's he's made it clear this, that we don't need a manager around the place. Let mm-hmm. let the match official do his do his job. In terms of handball, what you what you got to understand is if you take someone like Michael Oliver, Michael Oliver has refereed for eight years in and around the Northeast at grassroots level before he came onto the football league. Then he spent a number of years on the football league learning his craft before he became a Premier League referee. Now Within, within that, there's meetings, technical training, review of performance, all that takes place. So when we go and look at a simple law like handball, it's not the sleeve. And the reason it's not the sleeve is for the very point that you've made. Because Adidas, Nike, or whoever, Macron would, would make the sleeve down to the elbow. Yeah. Um, and that would be the sleeve so it, it is that it is the underside of the armpit that's that's the point the, the underside of the armpit level yeah. so what that means is you've got from your the underside of your armpit down to your hand as the the effective area that uh, creates the the offense where's the shoulder if you remember you had people do, moving in with the shoulder hitting the ball and 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 some referees were giving free kicks so they clarified that by saying no the shoulder is is part of of the body it's it's a plain part of the body if you like Mm -hmm. so then you get into the realms of the body shape and this is where it's so subjective it's untrue I can give you an advice I can tell you that when a defender jumps for the ball his elbow is below his shoulder as he's gaining elevation. Once his elbow goes above his shoulder, i.e. perhaps to do that in a backward action Mm. or to flail his arms, he's doing something else. He's committing another offense. He's using the arm and elbow to go up. There there are other aspects of that. If if you take, um, when you're coaching young referees, then the ball's coming into the dropping zone You as a spectator invariably are looking at the ball but the ball never committed an offense so we as referees are looking at the players in that dropping zone and in that dropping zone you can have the defender pushing in the back thumping in the back kicking on the back of the leg uh, leaning over pushing openly and you can have the forward elbowing his opponent grabbing his shirt and spinning off him so there's all those types of scenarios that with training and education of those referees they ought to be able to take, detect that but there are, look there's some referees that are on that panel that wouldn't be on the panel if i was the boss
1: yeah, yeah.
0: they want to be promoted onto it because they're not referees might learn, should learn from the mistakes that they make and not repeat them Yes. there's too many repeat errors I think that there are referees who are I wouldn't say struggling but need to be trained better in recognition of fouls because mm. the law says a careless challenge is a free kick only on, on, on some of those challenges I'm seeing a yellow card reckless and if, if you think of, of driving a car you can drive it recklessly without actually hitting your opponent. So therefore, that's a yellow card. And then you've now got endangers the safety of an opponent. And for me, that's that's a common sense thing. Yeah. You know full well, first of all, you know, if I go into clubs and I have done talking to players, I say to them, you know, your sliding tackle if you're in contact with the ground is okay. But if you launch yourself off the ground and you can imagine someone Goes for the ball with either one feet or two feet forward, both off the ground. That's endangering the safety of an opponent. It doesn't matter about the outcome, mm. and you can't use the ball as an excuse. So, I'm
2: I'm actually going to um, defend referees a little bit here because I mean, one of the questions I've got here are there too many rules in football? You use the word. Um, subjective that the decisions mm-hmm. are subjective obviously the other word that's used a lot is inconsistencies and probably those two things go together because one person's idea of a foul or a handball might not be the other the referees the laws are changed that often I mean I, I do feel sorry for them and how they keep up on what is supposed to be going on and what is a rule what isn't a rule anymore we said it right at the start Surely we can just simplify things. Um, well, I, you know, Chris,
0: there's only 17 laws in football. You know, compared to other sports, there's pages and pages in other sports. So there's, there's 17. Um, it, it's not difficult to have 20 referees who referee on the Premier League in discussion and debate, looking at video clips on a regular basis, Discussing incidents on a regular basis to get continuity and consistency in law application. Look, guys, this fits in this box. I've done it. This this particular challenge here fits in the yellow box. This one is red. Red's uh, instinctive. If you go woof like I did with that challenge by Sabitzer, you've mm. gone woof. It, you're not being clever. You're just saying that's a red card. Then, if you're disappointed as a fan, what about me as a, as a former referee looking at that game thinking, come on, VAR, come on, VAR? But I'm also then saying, if the referee had improved his viewing angle, which is what he has to do, then it, then he should have seen it. Now, you've got to have courage. Doesn't matter the team that you're refereeing. Doesn't matter whether it's Manchester United, Liverpool, Arsenal, Leicester, whoever. That doesn't matter. They're red or they're blue, and you have to give what you see. And sometimes they're not right. I mean, I mean, when I say not right, they're, they're decisions that give you a lot of
2: pain. You'd say, I just want to bring this picture up if I can do because you're saying about he needs to um, improve his view. And obviously, like I say, there's going to be decisions where there's players in the way, etc. cetera. Uh, but looking at this, and I don't know how, how well you can see that there, yes. but next to what looks like a bald head at the bottom left, I don't know if it is or not, so the right of that is actually um, Stuart Atwell's head. Yeah. And well, he's got a perfect view of that, hasn't he?
0: Well... Let me give you an example before I answer that. Mm. You want a referee to be in a good position with a good viewing angle. Sometimes what happens is if you're too close, you're either looking at the upper body or you're looking down at feet level. Mm. And look, I've already said that I find it difficult that an elite referee alleged and a, 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 an elite experienced uh, referee on the field and one off it in the VAR room can actually miss that challenge. I, I mean, Howard Webb will have no doubt gone through that very carefully with the referee and VAR and asked for their observations. Now, I'll be brutal with you. If I'm the boss, right? of the pgml which i used to be and i was faced with that situation the first thing i'm doing is i'm saying to that individual you can go and walk the dog next saturday sunday you're not on a game Mm. because i think i want to and i wanted them to ensure that there was a level of accountability for the big errors and they didn't like it chris they 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 (laughs) they moaned (laughs) but because it costs them financially Mm. you know they didn't get the match fee but if you don't have a if the public don't see that there's a level of accountability for these errors and how many times can howard webb talk to a manager
1: Mm.
0: you know you know i mean the first thing you have to do is you, you 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 look at the statistics you go back to sports science. Now I had a system in place that they no longer have, but it gave me distance from ball, it gave me viewing angles, it gave me the speed profiles, what is the distance covered, the heart rates of the refere- of the referees because I wanted to say was it because he's tired?
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: I even brought in a vision scientist, Professor Gail Stevenson from Liverpool University because I I began to think is it their eyesight? <laughs> Now, I'm not this, being... This, I'm who not is being that saying
2: you should have gone to Specsavers? Well,
0: I, I mean, look, one of the things that I did do was, in my era, fitness was about endurance. Yeah. The game's changed, and now it's most players are massively fit. They've got subs and everything. Um, It's explosive sprinting, and that's why I brought a sprint coach in. I brought a sprint... Two, I had two sports scientists... Very qualified sports scientist, and then brought in uh, on a part time basis a sprint coach because I wanted to get them to be able to explode like a player and get the mark. You know, we were doing 20 average, 25 sprints in a game, 11,500 meters, and we moved that up to 50 uh, and an average close to 12. Um, Yeah. He's in, he's in a position where he has to see that decision and you've got then have the courage to say, look, I'm going to send you off. But you've then also, as boss, got to support that referee when he does send it off. So after this flight, you just say, look, you've done the right thing. That's what I expect. And you defend this situation.
2: I wanted to go go back because I can remember when I was a young lad and it's a long long time ago believe you me but, uh, I was I was young once and I actually bought um it was it was the referee's rule book uh I, I presume it was an abridged mm. version or whatever because you, you got it from W8 Smith it wasn't particularly big at all but yeah yeah there was only 17 rules uh, or, or, I mean I wasn't many, I remember that, but each rule had so many sub-paragraphs and, yes. and, and what have you. So yeah. like for offside, I mean, for me, why don't we just get rid of it altogether, but B, it's football, so if your foot is off offline, yeah. that's fine. None of this, well, the player that was on the other side of the pitch, <laughs> far, as far away as you can be, one side to the other, played him onside, where, I, you know, I just think the rules could be simplified yes. so much. I, I,
0: I, I entirely agree with you. I entirely agree. I'm not being clever. No. I, th- I think that um, with years and years of being involved in football, um, I think they're forgetting that the person who runs out in the Premier League on a Saturday with two assistant referees has the same set of laws as the youngster, 15, 16-year-old, who runs out in the park to referee a kid's game, a grassroots game. And let me tell you, I think that the overcomplication of handball and offside doesn't help the referees at grassroots level. And I'm not surprised that kids are leaving the game. Yes, they put it under the banner of abuse. um, But you know we've we've got a sure. show. i mean i'm president of the northern counties east league which is step yeah. 5 i think step 6 and uh, you know it's a good level of football and if i tell you on saturday february the 4th or the two days before that date we were 16 assistant referees sure in what is a relatively senior game
1: yeah
0: and you know we've introduced body cams and and what we it's have
2: the other day that they've the, been the yeah. introduced. Yeah. I
0: mean, at grassroots level, and of course, we've introduced the sin bin, and it works reasonably well. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, the last thing a referee wants should want to
2: do is send a player off. Yeah. You know, let me tell you this: away days are great, but when you can't play away, there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with Muck Delivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants 18+, plus. serving times, delivery fee and terms apply.
1: See mcdonalds.com The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. As football fans, we often pride ourselves on knowing everything, from which substitution can turn the game around to the quickest route home to beat the crowds. However,
0: And and if I go and watch a, a play in, or whatever at, at the theatre in London, and I've paid me money to go and watch it, and then it's Phantom of the Opera and Michael whatever comes on and hits a bum note, he don't get a red card, he don't get a yellow card either, and and but he's there at the end of the match. Now what we've got is we've got <coughs> we take this weekend. And we've got a goalkeeper at Newcastle United who comes out, yeah. handles the ball. Look, he's handled it. He's, brought, he's pulled it in his chest. And we can have the arguments. And, have, you know, we can have the arguments he shouldn't have done that, but he did. And now he's not going to play in the, in, the, in the Cup final. Now, ultimately, at the end of the day, some fans will say, ah, oh, that's the right thing. But we've got to bring the human perspective into it here. One, that submits a challenge could put somebody out of a game for several months or out of the game completely. Yeah, That is the real red card that should have happened. The technical offence of the goalkeeper in law is denied an obvious goal-scoring opportunity and he goes. And there's an imbalance here. There's an imbalance in terms of the punishment level. Now, one of the things and why I communicate about laws of the game, their interpretation, I've written books, is I can remember walking out at villa park. Three days earlier, I'd been informed by the FA, all the referees on the Football League had been informed by the, refere- by the referee's officer at the FA, denial of an obvious goal scoring opportunity the way you're operating at you referees is wrong I've got to tell you we were we were operating on the basis of it had to be a cynical challenge before we were going to send anybody off but on that Thursday they said to us it's any foul any foul he has to go if he's denied and in the middle of the game Tony Gale brings down Gary Crosby and I'm left with The FA's voice in my ear saying, this is now the new interpretation of denial of an obvious goal-scoring opportunity, red card. I can tell you, for the rest of that game, everybody's bemused. The, The commentators are bemused, the fans are bemused. And I'm saying very clearly that if that had happened on the Wednesday night, prior to that semi-final, Tony Gale would have conceded a free kick only, not even yeah. a yellow card. And and so there is a lack, I believe, of um, debate, discussion, communication from the governing body in terms of how these laws are interpreted. Now, if the PGMOL comes out at the weekend and says, and they use Dermot Gallagher as the spokesperson, which I set up, Dermot, Dermot is paid by the PGMOL. And therefore, in a way, with Riley, he's giving the PGM world view, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, I think he might have a bit more freedom. And, of course, he did say it's a red card. Now, what stops any retrospective action on that incident? Why didn't the FA sing that challenge? Because, for me... We should be more concerned about challenges in the game that put players out of the game and may f- affect their career yeah, than, than the technical offences of denial of an obvious scoring opportunity and or act, acts of simulation that cheat us all. The referee who misses it,
1: yeah.
0: the fans who one week get a penalty and the following week get one against them.
2: Can I just say you 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 are you are talking too much sense to be a referee? <laughs> uh, because, um, I mean I have said this for ages is I mean first of all, just going back to the um to the Newcastle goalkeeper, I mean yes, I think it was an in a way it was a bit of a natural reaction for him because he's a goalkeeper. Yes. Uh okay, so by the rules, it's a red, but somebody else, I don't know who it is, had got two yellows and isn't missing the game, but because it's a straight red, and that's, I think, where people sometimes look at it and go, is it? Is it fair? But I am a great advocate of this retrospective use of VAR because they are diving players yeah. in it, which yeah. basically is cheating. Yeah. Um, um, the problem is, obviously, I think, you know, Manchester United cheat player falls over and is cheating and he's not, but I've got my blue tinted spectacles on and vice versa. But if if they look at the game at, at VAR, because they've obviously got the, all the game on tape, that they can sit there and look at it the day after and go, "Yeah, that was diving. That's actually yeah. cheating. Yeah. Give him a yellow card. And then obviously it adds up to his other yellow cards. And eventually yeah. they'll end up missing the game. Surely the managers at that point are going to go, don't you bloody dive you're going to get a yellow card, and I don't want to lose you.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, what's interesting this week, uh, I've picked up today, I understand that there's a a woman footballer who took a dive, deceived the referee, and that's gone to review by the FA, and she's got a two-match ban. So, if we're going down that route, it should, affect, it should be applied to all football. And yes. if it's broadcast, then fine, you've got the evidence and, yeah. a, and away you go. But, I, you know, I think ultimately at the end of the day, um, we, we've got to recognise, uh, well, I certainly recognise, people don't, and there's a, quite a few agree with me, some disagree. I think under Riley, Mike Riley's watch for the last uh, 10 years, I think we've seen a decline in standards. Wow. there's always going to be there's always going to be a mix of individuals. There's always going to be different referees, do it in different ways. If you know I've mentioned earlier, Peter Jones from your patch, quiet, unassuming sort of guy, efficient, his his accuracy in decision making. rarely did he get into problems? Rarely did he get into confrontation with players? Because he was an efficient referee, you applied the laws of the game accurately, and he got the big decisions right now some will say as they say to me well in your day uh, there weren't 22 cameras watching the game well you know as someone that's refereed both here and overseas in in big games i i, I could say well just a minute i can remember one game uh, the opening game of the euros between west germany and italy where where there was over 100 cameras um, because it was being different broadcasted people yeah. and various other things
2: but and you've also yeah. got the newspaper photographers as well. Well,
0: I mean, look, I mean, ultimately, at the end of the day, the game is what it is, and mm. I think that there's no question that there is a general lack of communication out of the PGMOL over recent years. There's been none to some degree, and that's exacerbated the problem. And and I and I think at the end of the day. Um, Realistically, what the MLS do is they have a weekly review program on VAR. They they actually show clips to either justify the decision or actually say, "Look, our guys, our team's got this wrong. This is why they got it wrong. You know, this is interpretation on ball. This is interpretation of offside. Um, you know, what's what's a deliberate play? Um, I thought Howard I been discussing the Rashford situation, explained it pretty cl- clearly that he w- his expectation, which is similar to mine, is that that should have been given offside. Mm. That's what the game requires. And I think often, whilst we've talked about 17 laws, the 18th is the most important one. That's common sense. Yeah. And I used, I used to say to the referees, look, I don't want any surprises. And I think... You know, I introduced, um, and I, I did it. I mean, I, I went to the Premier League and said, look, I, I want I want the, play, the captains of both teams coming into the dressing room prior to the game. Simple conversation. <laughs> Hello, you know, my name's Keith. How do you want to be addressed on the field? You've then got to conduit in which to be able to For players getting a bit out of hand, just have a quiet word in the captain's ear and say, look, have a word in your mate. He needs to calm down a bit. But those sort of crafts don't seem to be promoted as much now.
2: Well, I seem to remember there was a a, a law I thought had come in that said that players were not supposed to surround the referee and there was only the captain that is, quite rightly as the captain, allowed to go up and just say, look, why did you give that or why didn't you give that? You know, not going to change his mind. I accept that, but he's got the right to question it. Um, Well,
0: I mean, as I've said before, the captain has no real um, status other than determining which way they're going to kick off and which end they're going to have penalty kicks. Um, But I was trying to enhance that by saying, "Look, I I want you to. I want to be the guy who can keep you informed as to what's what's happening and explain, if need be." On the question of players surrounding referees, uh, the the process, it's not a law, it's actually, if you like, a, a criteria that was set in the Premier League days, and that is when three or more players surround the referee, the referee then reports that at the end of the game as an extraordinary incident, and that's why you're getting teams charged with failing to control their players. Now, for me... I used to say to the referee, if, you, if, if that happens, nail the first guy and then it'll not repeat. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we're all watching that boring process, aren't we, at corner kicks when there's a bit of holding and grabbing and pushing and shoving and all that nonsense that goes off. Mm-hmm. And then what we do is we see the referee going in and having a word, coming out and it all happens and nothing's done. And And I sit there Look, I don't want the game to be sanitised. I love a game. I, you know, I was brought up in the days. I ran the line when Norman Hunter was on the field. Yeah. He was best play. you know, those sort of people. So I came through that period in the 70s through to the mid-90s of, 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 you know, if, if you went out to Argentina and referee, believe me, you you're you watching your own legs that you weren't challenged. Yes. challenge. Yeah. So well, I, I think ultimately at the end of the day, you've you've got those challenges. We we'll go back to that original thing. I can't understand why a referee at the elite level and a VAR who's, who can look at the thing a dozen times if he needs to allows a challenge that is a clear red card to go unpunished. And that, what I'm saying is, I wonder what I have not looked, but I wonder what Stuart Atwell's doing this weekend.
2: No, <laughs> I'm going to be looking. <laughs> I won't be surprised by whatever. The one thing I want—I mean, a couple of questions. Then we'll come on to sort of a few questions in uh, from 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 what's coming up in the chat. So I appreciate the time. Moving on. You said this to me. We had a the, the brief chat before we came live, and I had no idea as to why referees were not communicating or coming out because you know i I was thinking look you expect managers to come out after a match and say uh abc or whatever and they're worked up because maybe they just lost the game or there was a bad decision and then they don't say anything in case you know that, that they're fined players are having to do it as well and i said why aren't referees expected to come out and just explain why they did certain things now I've always said, referee, PGMOL, not allowing them to do it, but you made a very, very interesting point. Yeah.
0: I mean, the, the, the principles are this, that, again, when I was boss, I put the referees on a media training course with the view that they're capable of answering the questions that were going to be raised in the media in order to give clarification of what they have got to. Um, and we started that process uh, and... Then what happened was we had a red card and a referee explaining why a red card had been issued by him and the clubs went spare. And they said, look, what that referee has done is you, you've allowed that referee to talk about that incident and that is, that's reduced our opportunity to appeal. We were going to appeal against that referee's decision, but now we've no chance of winning the case. So it's unfair. So the clubs themselves were unhappy with referees' post-match
2: uh, comments. I mean, I find that totally fascinating. But I also find it disappointing that it isn't seen to be well known. And again, we're back down to communicating with fans and let them know what's going on. And if they came out, you know, and the PJ came out and said, look... You know, this is why we don't let referees go out. Then we'd all go. All right, we can see what you know. We can see yeah. why now. Yeah,
0: yeah. But I mean, a lot of people don't. You know, when you're when you're refereeing at the elite level, you you're an event manager. You, you you're more than a referee. Mm. Um, You know, an hour and thirty minutes before kickoff, you've got the chief commander. The ground commander ground controller whatever title he's got now he comes in yeah. with the police officer they discuss the security arrangements if you're in a local park and the the, the ground conditions deteriorate or fog comes in you can blow the whistle and say come on lads let's go to the pub for a pint at the premier league level or a football league level you you've got to give the police time to put uh you know the control mechanisms outside for the safe egress of the stadium, stewards and all that goes with it. So that's why you have that debate and discussion. Um, and then one hour before kick off, the team sheets with the uh, with, with the captains come in. So uh, you know you you are you are effectively an event manager, and of course you've got the guy at the side of the pitch counting you down to make certain that you kick off uh, at the appropriate
2: time. Yeah, just looking actually because there's been a lot of people saying like, oh, Stuart Atwell's on VAR for us this weekend. Yes. Now whether he was and he's been moved or not, I don't know, but he isn't. Uh, in fairness, Stuart Atwell apparently is going to be the referee uh, at the Tottenham Chelsea match.
0: Yes, I just I, I just picked that up and I was, yeah. I was just I was just doing that on the phone. Yeah,
2: I was, I was doing <laughs> yeah. it on the second screen. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. yeah. Um,
2: but the and, inter- and
0: and funnily enough, then he becomes VAR uh March the first in the Liverpool Wolves game on the uh, Wednesday.
2: Oh he is, yes. Then, is. Then,
0: right, you yes. know Look, this is I, look, I say people have a go and say you, you, you're too harsh with referees. I, I used to say, look, I'm I'm the 21st manager in the Premier League when I was boss. And if a player, you know, if, uh, despite his reputation, if Sheffield-born Jamie Vardy's not hitting the ball in the back of the net and the manager thinks that he's not in in form and he shouldn't be selected, he's not selected.
2: Mm.
0: You know, so there's a level of accountability that players have to perform week in, week out. There should be no different for the referee. And by the way, somebody asked, would more money improve things when i left the 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 amount of investment in referees was five million we we were spending five million on pgmol referees remembering that the the pgmol is responsible for premier league championship efl one and two so it's across that that money now is 23 million wow so it's not a small figure no no
2: do they because they didn't used to have used to have their own jobs, didn't they, as well?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, um, some I mean, when you talked about the cup final that I had, I, yes. I had, a, you know, just 10 minutes before kick-off, a guy came in and said, right, Keith, you've got a choice. Uh, £35 match fee or the gold medal. And at the, as I was coming down the steps at the replay, after the replay, on the Thursday night, the guy came up to me and said, good news, and I thought I'd won the pools. And he goes, you're going to get the £35 and the gold medal because you've refereed two matches. Oh. <laughs> so <I> mean, <laughs>
2: well, off, That's how change,
0: times change. The, the yes. professional referees now will get between, I would think, seventy and 100,000. Wow. Um, they are full-time. SG1 are full-time. There's championship referees in the main, they're full-time assistant referees at the Premier League most of them are full-time uh, in my day we were amateurs in a professional game that's why I mean I put forward a proposal to the Premier League having lost my job twice I mean I look it's not a sub story but it gives you a background of uh, being appointed to referee New Zealand versus Australia and I refereed the match it was no better than a good quality parks game being honest yeah uh, but uh that evening, when I came off the ground, off the pitch and into my hotel, uh, I'd been dismissed from my job for taking leave without permission. And I fought the case and won.
2: Wow.
0: And then uh, on, a, on another occasion, as a director of a business, and uh, the need to attend a board meeting, I was appointed to referee Stuttgart versus Fionnord. And to get back in time for that meeting, I had to charter my own aircraft. It cost me two grand. Otherwise, I'd, lo- otherwise I'd lose another job. And yeah. that's not good. Losing one on your CV, losing yes. two would be a, a nightmare. But yes, yeah. yeah, we were amateurs. We are yeah. now professional and you would expect a be- better levels of performance by the very nature of their profession. Yeah.
2: Oh, yeah, you would think so. Assistant referees used to be linesmen. Um yeah. I I often because you, you you see an offside I mean the offside rule listen, that's probably a bad example actually because um it has a bit of a mess anyway but the ball goes out for throwing and you see the, the assistant referee who's on that side waiting to see what the referee gives before he flags should it not be his job I mean are they are they being they got to, have they got to wait for the referee to say, what do you think? No,
0: or? I, I know where you're coming from. The, the yeah. reality, Chris, is that we had um, absolute world-class, the very best assistant referees in the world operating on the Premier yeah. League. By the very nature that we had uh, Mark Warren before the Premier League was formed. He, he He ran the line in the final of the World Cup. Philip Sharp ran the line for Pierre Luigi Calina. It is World Cup final. Mm. We then, of course, had Malarkey and Cannes. Can still officiates on the on the Premier League even now. As they were Howard Webb's assistants at the World Cup in 2010 in the in Africa. What we've got now is we've got, you know, I look at that Mason situation, I think, well, why didn't the referee the assistant flag? I think, it, I think it's a difficult job for an assistant referee now because it's knowing when to flag and when not to flag. Yeah. And, and my view is, I, I'm saying to them, look, I know why the delayed flag is being used because of the introduction of VAR. But then I say to the people, well, why are they operating the delayed flag in a championship where we don't have VAR? why and i said to a linesman last weekend weekend before um why are you delaying the flag on a on a a grassroots game of football because they do it in the premier league and i'm going no that's because there's var and what they don't want is an incorrect offside and a goal ruled out they want the game to continue the outcome of where the ball is before they fly now I think sometimes, you know, you get a picture in your mind as as an assistant referee, Mm. where you are, where the player is. And sometimes I think that picture is lost in the build-up of the ongoing play. And then the flag goes up and and it can be confusing. And I, I think that some assistant referees are perhaps not doing the job that we've come accustomed to. Yeah. Like the referee waiting for the person upstairs to say it's uh, Mm. that's out or it's offside or it's not offside.
2: Yeah. Well, you'll be thankful to know I've run out of questions, but just a few uh, that uh, have come up in the chat. Uh, Andrew said uh, one quite earlier. I I don't know if I agree with this. Managers should be able to call refs to a monitor to look again. I mean – if that is would ever happen, surely they're gonna be say, You've got two. You can you can allow two in the game. Otherwise the manager would be calling them over every five minutes, wouldn't they?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, I think that um when a manager's in the technical area's got a job to do and sometimes they themselves lose the cool and and, yeah. and there's there's bias in it, all that goes with it. Most of the managers I've come across are pretty articulate. Uh but get them near the green bit and they, they the personality changes because of the pressure that they're under um no i think that the game has got to be in a position where the referee goes to the monitor and uh, he can stick two fingers up to the var and say i'm sticking with my decision i think what we what we've got at the moment is we've got var's going to the monitor the referee knowing full well that gonna he's gonna go with what the VAR. Says. I think
2: I saw that in the World Cup. There was one thing where the referee yes. went, "No, I was Correct. right," and, and yeah, we yeah. all went, "Wow, great, fair play, yeah. mate!" And, that,
0: and, that, and that's what we should see. The, the, yes. the monitor should be a review of the incident that he's not seen. Another chance of having a look and then saying, "Right, fine, yes. I'm, I'm I'm happy with what I've seen, or I'm unhappy with what I've seen." Yeah.
2: I mean, I think we covered this earlier
0: about... And I think, I think uh, what, is, what Howard is going to do next season is uh, I think he's very keen if he gets permission from FIFA, who at uh, the World Club Championships allowed the referee to explain his decision. So he would rather than come to the touchline and give the signal and all that, I've reviewed the monitor, it's offside. That's it. Now, it, even if we get that, it'll be a benefit.
2: Do you think sort Well, they've obviously got mics. Do you think being able to to hear what they're saying, like they're doing? Oh well, I
0: mean, I I I'd just like us to get near rugby. I'd just like us to yeah. use the big screen. Um, referee and two assistant referees come together, and they're looking at the screen together, and they have a chat, and we can listen into the chat, and they come yeah. to the decision. You know, so, yeah, I, I you know I I I. I I think we can learn a lot from other sports, just like oh, the yeah. independent timekeeping. I think that we should take away that responsibility from the referee <coughs> and we should have an independent timekeeper.
2: Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm all for, I'm, I'm all for <laughs> it. Did it on the, in the World Cup, you know, 12, 13 minutes injury time. Yeah, because you've been wasting it, you know. Right, and I, right. I often feel like I've paid to see 90 minutes of a game and I'm watching 60. Well,
0: well you're you, you're actually seeing less. The average at the moment in the Premier League, is around 55 minutes. Wow. And if I tell you that last season there were three games where they only had 45 minutes playing time,
2: no. <laughs> no.
0: <laughs> so, so you see there's a problem, and they've got to get back to giving uh, fans value for money.
2: Yes. Yeah. Uh, oh. Dave asks here who changes the laws in what appears to be yeah. a random move almost? I don't know if it's every week, but we no, said not. early, didn't we? Pick,
0: how yeah. season? The laws of the game are changed annually, if they're gonna be changed. Yeah. The laws of the game are not the remit of the, the the FA or or the Premier League or the referees, they are the International Football Association board. Now the IFAB is made up of the the FIFA who have four votes england ireland scotland and wales who have one each and there's got to be a a, a, like a a voting system that has to be dominant but um so that there's a business meeting that meets regularly i think Arsene wenger's on that pia luigi and representatives of those countries and they meet they meet and they discuss laws and law amendments and with some experiments. I mean, at the moment, there's obviously that ongoing experiment with uh, semi-automated system, which would bring in levels of accuracy because it's artificial intelligence and home-based cameras. Um, but they change them on an annual basis. And by the way, if any of your listeners wanted to look at the laws of the game out of interest and check, if they go to www.zifab and remember the theifab.com, they can go there and they can da- download the laws of the game. They can actually look at the the documents that are produced and the voting rights, etc.
2: I'm just going to put that in in the chat, actually. Yeah. That,
0: www.zifab.com. www.zifab.com.
2: Rules. Okay. Thank you for that. Um, interesting point here from from Ash. Um, love the name, always Ash. with a thin. Uh, uh, who do you support? I'm not sure to say. You know yeah, yeah, what yeah. that leads me yeah. on to is yeah. you can't, as I understand, referee the team that you support. No. No. Can you? Or do you also not able to referee the team where you live?
0: Well, I think that's an interesting debate. Um, If we take uh, the the football league and the Premier League, in my era, right, in my era, you would, uh, as a Yorkshire-born referee and a Yorkshire-based referee, right, um, they wouldn't allow me, of course, to referee the two Sheffield clubs. No. Uh, But interestingly, for a number, for a period, uh, neither could I referee Leeds United. Uh, but I could referee Chesterfield, and Chesterfield's closer to Sheffield than and, than than Leeds United. Um, but now what you have is uh, you have on the programme. Now you will see that there's no mention of where that referee comes from. No. What the referee has to do on an annual basis is fill in a form that says this is the club I support, or if I have any connections to. Mm. As a consequence, that is then into the system and that nullifies the the guy. So if you take someone like Anthony Taylor, and I I must say I was really concerned about early on a few years ago because he's an Altrincham-based referee who supports Altrincham, but is allowed to referee Manchester City, Manchester United, which is like, walk away but in fairness i think he's demonstrated as he should do as a referee high levels of integrity now um i i i was a sheffield wednesday fan i was brought up as a kid going to hillsborough uh, and you always retain that um i've not been watching them in recent years because i'm president of a grassroots club called peniston church we operate with 20 teams we're playing this evening and i've forgotten when i committed to this program
2: oh, we're
0: <laughs> i forgot that, that uh, we were playing so i don't know how we've gone on but effectively i, I mean i'm more involved with grassroots football now than the, the premier league game because my mike, mike riley didn't want me anywhere near the, the premier league referees
2: mm. <laughs> I mean I, I'm I'm Leicester born and bred and I support well. You can tell yeah. I support Leicester. Yeah, yeah, but I yeah. actually live just outside Bournemouth. Yes. Now I don't particularly have any uh, I don't support Bournemouth. I don't they're not my second team. Yeah. yeah. But I keep a lookout for their results. Yes, you know because it's the team that I can go and see. It's like a home yeah. game for me. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, I predicted Bournemouth and Southampton to go down this year, and if they do, I'm going to be lost for games to go to. But yeah. you know, so for me, I should say, well, obviously, I can't support Leicester because they're my team, and I'm, you know, but I shouldn't necessarily be allowed to 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 referee a Bournemouth game.
0: Yeah, sure. I mean. That's, all that is fed into the system so that um, it, it's, it's monitored very carefully. That the, the integrity systems that I put in place, for example, you may be interested or not, but referees are not allowed to gamble on football worldwide. I brought that wow. in, you know, just as a safety check.
2: So even not, like you say, Australia and New Zealand? Are no, 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 like no, they, they can't.
0: Have... They're not allowed to gamble on football worldwide. Um, you know the the, uh, the the mobile phones are provided by us, the PJMOl. When I say that, uh, and if I need to, I never, I didn't have to, but if I could, I could interrogate every phone call that's been received and been made on that phone. Wow. So you see, uh, there are levels that watch things very carefully, and. Um, we don't have the integrity issues that maybe one or two other countries overseas have faced.
2: And I apologise because I'd forgotten one really big question that I wanted to ask. I promise you this will be the last question. Yeah, right. Okay. There's always um, accusations of bias towards the, the big six clubs at uh, all this. Now, we know... Once we've calmed down after a match, if we've lost, we, we know that there isn't. Uh, but would you say referees can be influenced? I mean, for example, you know, look, look at that game on, on Saturday. It was Manchester United at Old Trafford. They didn't get a player sent off. They didn't get a booking at all in that game. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. And, and you know, you, you, you make a decision and there's 10 Man United players around you. Do, do I mean, how do referees cope with that? Do they get influenced?
0: Well, no, I don't think they do. I think that, you know, the, the, the greatest influence is when you're out on a local park and you've got one man and his dog shouting at you because you hear every word. Yeah, uh, And it's a little bit like youngsters refereeing at grassroots level with the, with the parents. A small number of parents can be quite abusive and make life very difficult.
2: <laughs> when when, I've, when, I've been alive those games. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean when you' when you're in a big stadium the truth is that you're motivated the adrenaline flows um, yes. and you you, you know you, hopefully you raise your standards um doesn't matter who who the people are the players the numbers relatively speaking um, you know it, I suppose it's when you retire as I've done. From refereeing in that sense, that you look back and say, "Oh yeah, I can remember that." Because people write to me and say, "You did this game," and I'm thinking, "Well, you know, there's sometimes when I've walked out a stadium and and I don't even know the result. I know that sounds daft, but I've just got drawn into the old thing, awarded the goals when they're required, and and not not worried about them. Um, so yeah, I think I think referees have to be have to give what they see on the day and and yes. not be influenced by crowds
2: No, know that's fine right. and i've got to say i was just checking then um thank you so much for coming on you've got three lists on amazon um there's a, a kindle version of your you are the ref book uh there's the you are the ref book it, itself um wow that's expensive um yeah, <laughs> forty-five quid. Oh, um, no, no,
0: no! They're never forty-five quid.
2: <laughs> I think the, I think they've gone wrong there somewhere. I'll, and hack it I'll slow. sell
0: my sold copy.
2: The interesting, <laughs> yeah. the, the interesting bit, and I'm not, I'm not doing it. I don't. I, I mean, no, by
0: all means. The, the reality on. is that uh, I used to do the strip in. Uh, this is about informing fans. And the yes. principle is that we would we would take uh scenarios
2: mm-hmm.
0: and i'd work with trevilian trevilian is a great sports illustrator yes and yes. and he would draw the the players and and away we'd go so you got people like bobby moore and the like um and wow. uh, in and in fairness uh a, a couple of years ago uh maybe a little longer he did a he did a uh, Trillian did an ad, an ad for Snickers chocolate bar with with Pele. Him, him and Pele got on brilliantly. Yeah.
2: Uh, rest in peace, Pele. Of course. Yes, uh, sure. And and of course, Bobby Moore. But yeah. I've got to say, I have learned so much tonight. Pleasure. Um, that you know you you've been very candid, and thank you so much for that. Uh, you've you've not shied away from answering any of the questions. You've made me realise, like I say, that, you know, there's what I mean, I never knew about the refs, you know, not talking after matches was down to the clock. It's great to see that other side. And I know I complained at the start of the season about Leicester City's communication with the fans. And I think that's what we need to sort of get back into. uh, It's more the fans understand. And that's not just listening to sort of, you know, microphones on the pitch. That's, you know, being informed regularly. Yeah. It's got to help. It really, really has. But yeah, uh, this is, I think this is going to help. Because like I say, I have learned in, in the past hour and a half, I've learned so much about the game and the referee inside. Uh, I still wouldn't want to do it. I'm to be honest oh, no. with you. But yeah. uh, Keith, look, I, I really do Roger. appreciate it. Sorry I kept you away from your team tonight. But um, really do appreciate you giving your time up. Thank you so very much and take care and all the best to you and your family.
0: Thanks, Chris. Take care. Thank
2: you. you. And yourself, Keith. All the best. Bye bye. Bye bye. -bye. (sighs) What a. a (laughs) Honestly, these are the notes that I've made. I mean, the black is what I'd made before, the red is what I wrote afterwards. I mean, Totally, un, un unreal. I've learned so so much. Uh, Nate, you are welcome. Thank you so much, sir. I've like you say, I have, I have been educated. Um, we're still going to moan about referees, of course we are. But when you've got an ex boss of the PGMOL, which is the um, you know the governing body for referees uh, in English football, uh, or I don't know if it's British football, but definitely English football, uh, saying, "Yep, that should be a red card. You know, Howard Webb is coming in. He's probably one of the most respected referees as as much as we can be that we have in this country. Uh, It sounds like he's changing things. If you know anybody that ever moans about a referee, tell them Go and have a look at this video. Go and have a listen to what Keith's got to say. There are two sides to every story. And, wow, we've learnt that tonight. And, like can say, thank thank you so much, Keith. Keith, I, I can remember him when, you know, and in those days, I reckon it was harder to be a ref because you'd got players knocking six bells out of each other on pitches, Norman Hunter and all them. But uh, but look, it, it it was great, and I've really I've really enjoyed that. I so I have so so enjoyed that. Um, and uh, if you if you've missed it, you've come in late. Please go back and check it out. But guess what? Coming up next on Leicester Till I Die TV, nine o'clock tomorrow night. Fingers crossed. We've got this gentleman coming on the show, Stan Collymore. I'm just waiting for the final confirmation. Last week he said yes, waiting for final confirmation. I know there's been matches on tonight, so I think he might have been busy with those. Uh, Nine o'clock tomorrow, the conversation, second one this week after tonight, amazing. Absolutely amazing to have him on. The one that got away from Leicester City, but not just Leicester, 11 games. And we're all saying it's the one that's got away. All the other clubs he's been at. How can you not remember a Liverpool Newcastle game from the nineties? Where Moore! Oh, it was up there with Aguero. I'll tell you, I didn't do it justice at all there. But um, yeah, uh, thank you uh, to Dan. Let's hope you know we get that nine o'clock tomorrow, Dan. Dan, the Burnley man's popped in. Yeah, it, he is. Uh, it's obviously he's, re- he's retired now, so he's a little bit more freedom. Uh, he does write regularly for the Telegraph, so it isn't worth checking uh, checking it out. Uh, he does, like I say, he he says things that he uh, you wouldn't get most people saying, but learned a lot. What happened to Burnley tonight? You only drew. What's going on? <laughs> but you, you come away with a point. It was away from home at Millwall on a Tuesday night. You'd have probably taken a part a point, a part a point. Thanks a lot, Dan. Uh, you as well. You as well, young man. You as well. Well, when I say young. Yeah. I will see you tomorrow night. Fingers crossed at nine. My son is back tomorrow from Africa. He goes. He's doing some missionary work over there. He I haven't. I haven't seen him. I haven't seen him about six months. Got the day with him tomorrow. Really, really looking forward to that. Um, I think I should be back for nine. I might just be able to make it. <laughs> if you've been watching, thank you so much. Lester's live the ITV, on YouTube, on on Twitch, and if you are listening on your favourite podcast platform, thank you so much for lending me your ears. Uh, you can have them back now. And don't forget, if you got nothing to do for five seconds. Get over to the BBC website, go on to the Leicester City page and have a look at Tuesday Talking Point. It's me. Yes, it is me. Clubs deserve to be officiated by people who know what they're doing. I wrote that maybe, maybe, <laughs> yes, Monday when I'm still a little bit annoyed. Check it out. Check it out. It's a good read, even if I say so myself. David. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I, I I'm I i do not know. I'm more excited about what I'm just doing with Keith or Stan tomorrow on a week, and of course, my son coming home. That that uh, that just takes takes the the edge. It, it's the better one. I will see you tomorrow. Thank you so much, everybody, watching and listening. All I can say is, Arnie, it's over to you.
0: Thanks for watching. These videos are tremendous. You better like them too, or I'll be back. This podcast is proud to be part of the Talk sport Fan Network.
1: Talk sport. Powered by fans. That's all,
2: folks. Thanks for watching Lester Till I Die. This is Chris saying goodbye, and see you next time.